This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery and the Worth Recovery Podcast. I'm Amy. I'm your host here at this podcast, and I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Today is episode 95, and it's titled Spiritual Healing. Today, I thought I would share with you some thoughts that I have about spiritual healing. I prepared some of these thoughts and some more on this topic for a women's retreat that I was going to attend last month. And because of some personal circumstances, I wasn't able to attend or teach or share my thoughts. And as I was studying this topic, so much went through my head. So very much. So many ideas, so many experiences, so many thoughts. And so I thought I would share them with you over a few episodes. I'm grateful to be back. I I am so grateful for you and your support and your continued patience with me as I go through this period of time in my life where things are just a little crazy. I think about you all of the time and need to record more of my thoughts so that I can share them with you because I have just been going through a lot of different things and I'm just so grateful for a recovery community and for support from my recovery community and patience from my community as as I go through my own stuff, just stuff, lots of it. And I'm grateful to be able to share some of that with you today. Now, before we kind of dig into spiritual healing, a few quick thoughts. Uh, Be sure, if you have not already, be sure that you subscribe to Worth Recovery in iTunes or the Google Play Store or on the Podbean app, wherever it is that you're listening to us. Make sure that you subscribe. Our numbers continue to grow, which is just phenomenal for me, and uh, and your support is just amazing. Also, real quick reminder that we do have an event coming up in July. This is July 15th, and it's in Seattle, Washington. It's in Bothell, in the Seattle area. And the title of our event is Intentional Recovery. And our subtitle is Healing Happens on Purpose. And I'm so excited. We have several tickets sold already. We're just, we're two months out, a little bit more than two months out. And I'm really grateful for our lineup and for everyone. And I've got more coming to you on that very, very soon. Um, Before I move forward, also, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies continue to amaze me, not only in your generosity, but in your willingness to help other women in recovery. That's what this is all about, helping other women in recovery. If you've been enjoying what you're learning, if you're a regular listener, if this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, you can become a Worth Warrior and help other women in recovery. You can get on the website, worthrecovery.com, www.worthrecovery.com, and, and become a Worth Warrior. Um, so let's jump into spiritual healing here. Uh, I want to start with a passage from the SA White Book, the Sexaholics Anonymous White Book. This is a passage that comes, um, this is just a couple sentences that comes from the passage titled The Solution. 
the first two lines are the, the most powerful for me. They're some of, I think, the most powerful words in the book, even though they're very simple. You can find it in a few different places in the book, The Solution. I'm reading from page 204, so towards the end, page 204. It says, quote, We found that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Healing had to come about in all three, end quote. I love that line. I'm going to read it one more time. We found that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Healing had to come about in all three. I use that line all the time with the women that I sponsor and the women that I work with and coach to, to be better. Because I think it brings up a really important idea that our problem is not just about sex. It's not just about our body. It's not just about our emotions. It's just not about our feelings. It's it's not just about spirituality, though spirituality is a huge piece of it, right? That our problem had three different facets and that healing had to happen in all three. Physical healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing. In my current recovery process, most of the work I'm doing right now is physical. I'm doing a lot of work around physical healing understanding my body, understanding what it says to me, connecting with my body in healthy ways, staying connected to my body, loving my body, learning to nurture my body and appropriately feeding my body. All of these things that we do to heal our bodies, that's what I'm working on right now. And as things progress, I'll share some of them with you. Right now, they are so fresh and so frustrating and so amazing and so difficult all at the same time. I have more questions probably than I do answers. And as I get more answers and more thoughts, I'll share them and share part of that journey with me. But what I want to discuss today and probably for a few episodes is spiritual healing. I want to share my thoughts with you because I believe there is so much wrapped up in the term spirit or spiritual or spirituality. There are so many hidden agendas, expectations, stigmas, prejudice, or even just negative feelings towards spirituality and religion of all kinds and in all places in the world. That is another mis- uh, misconception or a misunderstanding, that grouping spirituality in with religion or religiosity. And this is not something that's unique to addiction and recovery, though for me, that's where my spiritual healing began. I'm hoping by discussing some of these, some of my own spiritual healing and sharing some of the recovery literature around spirituality that you can walk away today with a little bit more hope or maybe a lot more hope and develop and a, develop a desire to make, to make a better effort and maybe gain a greater level of spiritual healing in your own life. Now, because there is so much stigma and hidden agendas and prejudices and negative feelings and blah, 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 just a few ground rules. I don't know if they're rules, but just so that you understand kind of my purpose here, right? First, I am not in any way trying to define spirituality or religion for you. Each of us has to do that ourselves. We have to figure out for ourselves what these things mean for us. Now, two, second, having said that, I define spirituality or leading a spiritual life as a relationship with my higher power, a relationship with a higher power of my own understanding. I have a spiritual practice that I engage in to stay connected to my higher power. My spiritual practice includes religious services and religious practice. 
Now, three, for me, religion is one of the ways that I practice my spiritual life. I know not everyone chooses to engage in religion for a wide myriad of reasons, and that's totally your choice. That's totally awesome. Again, I am in no way trying to define these things for you to encourage or discourage you from any particular way. I just want to share my experience with spiritual healing. Because my spiritual practice includes religion, I will talk a little bit about religion. My hope is that by sharing some of these experiences, you can relate in some way. You can see some of yourself in these thoughts and be able to heal a little bit more spiritually. When I first started studying for this presentation that I was asked to give and reviewing this topic, I started at the source. For me, that source is the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The text there is profoundly spiritual in nature and suggestions. And I know that this has turned off and continues to turn off many people. I was that way kind of at the beginning. I started that way. My own personal life and lived experiences has been one of high spirituality and high religiosity. I grew up highly religious and spiritual. I prayed regularly, attended church every week, and participated in religious activities. I did all that was asked of me. As a young adult, I went and served a religious mission, serving others and teaching others about the God I believed in and the religion I subscribed to. Even in the height of my acting out, I professed to be a very spiritual and religious person. And that meant that I was acting out on Saturday nights and attending church on Sunday mornings. The duality of my life before recovery has always been profound. When I encountered the big book of AA and it told me I needed a spiritual awakening, I was slightly angry, <laughs> to be honest. In chapter 4, page 44, it says, quote, You may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Close quote. Now, at that time in my life, I had had many, several spiritual experiences. I had a hard time believing that my addiction was a lack of spirituality or spiritual experiences. That is what this was saying, right? That I needed a spiritual experience. That if I needed a spiritual experience to change my life or to recover, then that meant that having an addiction was a result of not enough spiritual experiences in my life, right? That's how I read that. Little logic switch there. I had a very hard time with that at first. At that time in my life, I believed in a higher power, a God that was perfect, one that loved me, one that cared for me, one that rewarded those that followed him. I prayed all the time. I believed I had a great relationship with my higher power. I believed my addiction was not a result of a lack of spiritual experiences, but a result of my own weakness and unworthiness. Yet, the bit book kept telling me over and over again about the need for a spiritual life. Here's some quotes, just a few that I like. Same pages before, page 44, it says, After a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Page 46, just a few pages later, the great fact is the, the great, oh, sorry, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had a deep and effective spiritual experience which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life. Page 66, a little bit letter. With the alcoholic, his hope is the maintenance and growth of spiritual experience. These are just a few examples where these writers, these addicts who wrote the big book, talked about the necessity of a spiritual experience, a spiritual life, 
a spiritual awakening, step 12 tells us, right? One of my favorite passages comes on page 75. And it says, quote, We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Close quote. I'll read that one more time. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. That hit me hard early on. Spiritual beliefs were not necessarily spiritual experiences. I began to question that. A few things happened to help this idea kind of grow in my head. First, I attended a whole lot of fellowship meetings. A whole lot of meetings. Meeting after meeting after meeting. At these meetings, I heard my fellow addicts describe their relationships. Relationships with spouses, partners, children, parents, siblings, coworkers, all of it. And I remember sitting there realizing that I wanted nothing to do with the relationships that they were describing. Maybe that sounds a little rude, but it was true. Their relationships were struggling, were difficult. These were not the type of relationships or the nature of the relationships that I wanted to have in my life. That was when my therapist introduced me to the idea of an intimacy disorder. And I learned that the dysfunction of my intimacy disorder not only led to a sexual addiction, but it also affected all of my relationships. All of them. I did an inventory of relationships and I started listing ideas and people with whom I thought I had a good relationship with, only to start to see that some of the dysfunction I had in my life was pretty serious in this relationship category. This made me super sad. My relationships were not the quality relationships I wanted or even thought that I had. I was not as giving, not as relational. I was not as kind as I thought. I was not as close or as supportive as I thought with other people either. There were a lot of things about myself that I learned in looking at these relationships and it saddened me. I had not been very present, very authentic, or very real in these relationships. One night while doing some recovery work, if, if I remember right, I was working on some step two stuff. This is early on in my recovery. I remember this thought occurring to me. If my relationships with people I see on a regular basis and can talk to and live with aren't super great, if I have an intimacy disorder that affects these relationships, why would I think that it would not have affected my relationship with my higher power? Why would I think that that relationship was so great? If I wasn't present, authentic, real, or vulnerable in relationships with people I see, why did I think that I had been acting that way in my relationship with my higher power, with God? This thought had a profound effect on me. Maybe God was not what I thought he was. Maybe my understanding of God was not right. Maybe my perceptions were flawed. It was that night that I remember deciding to question everything. If what I believed was right, it would stand up to scrutiny. It would stand up to questioning. It would stand up to examination. I decided to question everything. I figured I couldn't lose. If it wasn't right, if what I believed wasn't right, if my spiritual beliefs were not right, then it would give me an opportunity to change, an opportunity to dismiss beliefs that weren't helping me and to learn new ideas and to adopt new ideas. I remembered what my mom had told me over and over and over again. Truth is truth is truth is truth. She would always say it four times. And she would always follow it with, no matter where you find it. 
Truth is truth is truth is truth, no matter where you find it. And she really tried to help me learn, and all of us really as children, to help us learn how to distinguish truth and how to be able to identify truth. I decided I would allow myself to question everything. And I believe that that was my first step to spiritual healing, being willing to question everything that I believed about my higher power, everything. Now, for a lot of people, I know that they have a hard time allowing themselves to do that, allowing themselves to question everything. They feel like maybe that shows a lack of faith. They feel like maybe that shows a lack of spirituality. Or they just feel so loyal to what they grew up with or what their parents taught them or what they believe that they're unwilling to question it. And for me, that was the very first step to be to real spiritual healing was allowing myself to question. And I really came to the conclusion that if I believed, if what I believed was true, I would eventually get back there. I would eventually get back there. If it was true, I would get there again. I would believe it. But I had to be willing to question it at first. Now, recently, I had an experience where I was misinterpreted. So this was kind of like my second thing that helped to this idea grow in my head that I needed an, a different type of spirituality. I had this experience where I was misinterpreted. Has that happened to you? You say something, you write something, you text something, or you do something, and your actions are misinterpreted. Recently, I wrote something on my Facebook page. My sentence was ripped apart and thrown back at me, totally out of context, totally manipulate the meaning, manipulating the meaning into something I different, totally implied a tone of voice that wasn't there. I was so angry when it happened, so angry. But more than that, I was so sad. I was sad that this person thought that that, that, who, that, that was who I was. I was sad that people were forming ideas of who I was, people who didn't know me very well, based on these really out-of-context comments, these, these lies, basically, this manipulation of what I had said. I was so sad. It occurred to me driving home one afternoon that that must be how our higher power feels. Maybe he's sad, hurt, or angry that he is misinterpreted all the time. Now, I use these pronouns as he or God or higher power in the generic term, okay? You get to define that. I just want to make sure that you understand that. I'm not trying to define that for you. But I, I just had this kind of feeling like maybe he was sad, hurt, or angry that he is misinterpreted all the time. I'm confident it pains him when people use his words or thoughts or feelings out of context. When they latch onto one idea and don't look at the whole picture, I'm sure God wants to be understood, just like you and I want to be understood. That was my experience when I started to question everything. It took a level of humility to go to my higher power and say, I'm sorry. Maybe I don't know you as well as I need to. Maybe I've misinterpreted some of the feelings or experiences I've had in my life. Maybe I need to question some of these beliefs and thoughts or ideas that I have about who you are. I spoke to it. I spoke to my desire to know, to understand, and to have faith that my higher power would show me and direct me to the answers that I needed to have. Relationships are not easy. I knew that there would be a price to pay if I wanted a relationship. There is always a price to pay to have a relationship with someone or something even. 
a healthy, supportive, energy-giving relationship, a relationship you want to be in. There is a price to pay. In a relationship with your higher power, that price comes in the form of time and effort. You must invest a lot of time into a relationship if you want it to succeed. Your time and also your patience. There is investigative work to do and also a whole lot of listening and sitting still. It takes time and patience. It also takes effort in the work you do to try to question everything and come to your own understanding of who and what your higher power is. It will take effort. It will take digging deep. It will take talking about and uncovering uncomfortable feelings. It will take a support network. It will take forgiveness and struggle. It will take so much effort and it is so incredibly worth it. So I want to share with you a few things that I did to start questioning everything and also a few results on how that has changed my spiritual life, my spiritual healing, and my spiritual practice. So first, I just want to start with, I love all of the names that the big book uses for higher power. They use higher power. You can find all these names by looking for the names in the book that are capitalized. They are the names that the authors are using for higher power. Here are some of my favorites. Great Reality. The Broad Highway. Reason. The New Land. The Spirit of the Universe. All Powerful. Guiding. Creative Intelligence. Creator. Supreme Being. Power. Realm of the Spirit. Presence. Infinite Power and Love. Maker. These are the ones that speak to me. There's so many more, but I love these. I started to make a chart with three columns using some of these words and some other ones that I also use. The first column was, who is God? The second column was, what does that mean? And the third column was, why do I care? <laughs> so who is God? What does that mean? And why do I care? I'll give you two examples. The first one I did is, I don't think it's first on my list, but the first one is God is the great reality according to the big book, right? So who is God? I put the great reality. Now the second column, what does that mean? Well, for me, I lived a life in fantasy, in making up stories, in reliving stories, in lying, in denial, all fantasy places. I had lived my life in fantasy. If God is the great reality... For me, that means God does not exist in fantasy. When I'm fantasizing, when I'm in denial, when I'm lying, God is not there. God lives in reality. So who is God? He's the great reality. And what does that mean? That he doesn't exist in fantasy for me. And why do I care about that? Why does that matter? Why do I care? If I want to have conscious contact with God, if I want to have a relationship with my higher power, I need to stay in reality. I can't indulge in fantasy. Staying in reality, living in reality, means I can see more of the great reality, which is God. That was powerful for me. If I wanted a relationship with God, I had to stay in reality. And that was highly motivating. Time in fantasy was time away and disconnected from my higher power. If I needed my higher power that power greater than myself to help to restore me to sanity and to stay sober, I had to stay in reality. I had to give up my fantasy life. That's what that meant to me. Who is God? He's the great reality. What does that mean? 
that he doesn't exist in fantasy. And why do I care? That means I need to stay in reality if I want to stay connected to my higher power. I'll give you one more example of that. Um, God is the creator. My higher power is the creator. What does that mean and why do I care? So that means so many things to me that God is the creator. And, and man, I'm not going to share that with you right now. But I want to share the why do I care part. Because that means more to me is the why of this piece than any of the other pieces. Why do I care that God is the creator? I care because so many times in my life, I have had to recreate who I am. I've switched careers. I've moved states. I've worked on recovering from an addiction. I've switched partners. Each of these massive changes requires me to recreate myself in some way. Every time I go to therapy, I recreate myself, adding new things to my paradigm that changes who I am. This is not easy. Knowing that God is the creator helps me to know that I can tap into that power when I need it. It gives me comfort to know that my higher power, my creator, can help me recreate anytime I need to. This also was profoundly impactful for me. I knew in recovery I needed to change my life, to create a new life, a new land. That's another name that the higher power, that they use for the higher power in the big book, a new land. I needed help. And realizing that my creator had done this before, had created new life, new beings, new ways of living, gave me hope and peace and assurance. God had this. He had done this before and he could do it again. This simple exercise brought huge results for me. Who is God? What does this mean? And why do I care? My relationship with my God and with my higher power is constantly evolving. Stagnant relationships don't survive. I add to this list all the time. I add to my concept of God as I move along as things change for me. Another thing I did, second thing I did, was I started to record all the little sayings that people use around God and faith and religion. And I started to question them to really decide if I believed them and if they were part of the character of my higher power. Let me give you an example. This is one of my favorites, said with much sarcasm, if you didn't catch that. Everything happens for a reason. Right? People say that all the time. Everything happens for a reason. Or kind of a similar one to that would be that everything that is happening in my life is God's will for me. Right? Everything that is happening in my life is God's will for me. Now, these are things that we say to ourselves when things happen and we don't want to have that we don't want to have happen, right? So these are things that we say to ourselves to comfort ourselves when we don't want things to happen that are happening. Example, we don't get a particular job we want. Well, everything happens for a reason. We get fired. Well, I guess that's God's will that I get fired. Someone we love moves away. Everything happens for a reason. Somewhat, something bad happens to other people that you know. Well, that's God's will for them in their life. Has, has someone said that to you? This is, is this something that you believe? That's my question to you. Is this something that you believe? This is what I started to say to myself. Do I believe this? Do I believe that everything happens for a reason? And I started to think about things and I started to think and ask myself questions. Would I say this to someone in these scenarios? A little girl is beaten by her father for the fifth time this week. Are you going to say to her, everything happens for a reason? A teenage girl is drugged and raped at a party. Are you going to say to her, well, that's, God, that's God's will. Everything that is happening in your life is God's will. 
A mother is hit by a drunk driver coming home from the grocery store and is dead. Does that make sense? That you would say to her, everything is happening is everything that is happening is God's will for you. Would you say that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to the parents of a raped teenager and say that everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I choose to believe that not everything in my life is God's will for me. I can make mistakes. I can choose an addiction. Oh, that's right. I did choose an addiction. I wouldn't go to a little seven-year-old sexually. I wouldn't go to little seven-year-old sexually abused Amy, right? When I was a little girl and say, oh, that's God's will for you in your life or everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that. But I did believe that for a long time. And it caused a lot of problems between me and God. And I think it causes a lot of problems for people, whether they believe that or not. What I choose to believe now is that if I turn to my higher power in these moments of crisis, he will help me and show me how to heal and how to move forward. There is a big if in that sentence. If I turn to my higher power for guidance, for help, for peace, he will help me and guide me and comfort me. And I can choose not to turn to him. I can choose to sit in pain, loneliness, or shame. I did choose that for a very long time. I don't have to sit there. I can turn to my higher power and he can help me, but I can also choose not to. I hope that makes sense to you. I made a list of these sayings, the ones that keep kept playing over and over again in my head, the ones that I was sure were true about God. Some of these sayings I kept, some of them I do believe, some of them I ditched, some of them I am highly vocal about, and I would say almost anything to preach against them, like everything happens for a reason. These were two things I started doing when I started questioning everything. I also started really praying differently. I I started asking a whole lot more questions. I started looking for answers in different places. I started recording my answers. I started doing so many different things. I wasn't afraid to say to my higher power, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I misrepresented you. I'm sorry that I misunderstood you. I'm sorry that I didn't put the time and effort in to get to know you. My relationship with my higher power today is totally different than it was six years ago when I started this journey. I would say it is different today than it was even just a year ago. Relationships have to evolve. As I evolve, my relationship evolves. As I find more answers about who God is, my relationship changes. As I continue to question things that come up in my life, my relationship changes. It gets better. Way better. I think this is a good point to stop for this episode. I have a few more things I want to discuss about spiritual healing, and I will in future episodes. Again, my goal here is to get you thinking about your own spiritual state, your own spiritual healing, and most of all, provide hope for you. Hope that you can have a different spiritual experience. It might be a totally different than what you expect. I hope it is. If you had an amazing, perfect, awesome relationship with your higher power, I am confident that you would not have developed an addiction. If your relationship with a higher power was really working for you, you wouldn't have needed a coping mechanism, a means of escape. I was one of those people who believed that my relationship was awesome. And oh, how wrong I was. (laughs) 
I hope that you can find the courage to question everything to help you move more to the great reality, the new land, the new dimension. I'll close with my favorite quote about spiritual life from the big book. This is on page 83. It says, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. I challenge you to do something today to move you towards living a more spiritual life, whatever that means for you. I hope that you start to question a little bit more of maybe what you have adopted, your spiritual beliefs, and start to have a real spiritual experience. But all of those things take action. Every single one of them take action. I can't just sit around and think about it. I have to actually do something about it. I challenge you to do something today to move towards living a more spiritual life. Whatever that means for you. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.